You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. We were on a bit of an extended hiatus for a week. Uh, we had some folks out of town and uh, other folks doing other things, and we just kind of missed it. So here we are. The gang is back together. I'm your host, Justin, and I'm here with Jason and Dan. Hey, everybody. Mecca lecka hi, mecca hi ho Dan, welcome. Hey, I'm back. <laughs> that was from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, that's a great movie, by that the way. That was a deep pull. I'm sorry. Uh, there's no. You should never be ashamed for quoting Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Every time, every every time someone mentions the Alamo, I'm always I always say there ain't no basement in the Alamo. <laughs> like every single time, I can't help it. <laughs> Prove you're in Texas. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> oh, it's great. So great. Um, yeah, anyway. Uh, we have got a great show for all of you today. We're going to talk about dead games today. A uh, little ominous. Because they're spooky. It's October. Exactly. <laughs> By the time we get in there, it'll be October. So, yeah, we're going to talk dead games uh, and what that really means. And are they really dead? Are they zombie games? Ooh, I think we just came up with a new category of game. Zombie games. Not really zombie, zombie games. games. <laughs> Look, there's enough zombie games out there. We don't need to add fuel to that fire. <laughs> That's oh, true. I'm, I'm bereft of an idea for a game. You know, we should make a zombie game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's make a zombie game. Uh, all right, let's kick off our geek week. Uh, Jason, kick us off, buddy. All right, man. I um, I did a. F- I-, I was the one that was out of town, <laughs> but so I didn't get a lot of geeking in this time. I was on a work trip for almost the full week. But uh, I did, when I came back, I, I was able to do a couple things. I finished Tales from the Loop. You talked about that a couple episodes ago, yep. Dan. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, you know what? I'm happy I stuck with it, man. When it started, I mentioned that you know it was, it was a little slow, and I don't mind slow, but I felt like there wasn't a lot of payoff for the pace that was there in the first episode or so. But, yeah. but I am glad that I stuck with it because the, all the ep- like, little things from every episode started to like tie into the later episodes. And I thought that they did a good job kind of like, um, it wasn't like super, it wasn't suspenseful, but you know, you'd see something and you'd be like, oh, that's why that happened two episodes ago. Yeah. Or something like that. I got to jump back on that horse. I fell off halfway through the seasons. Yeah. Now you're giving me. Stick with it. Now you recommended that I I watch Cobra Kai, which I did. I totally, I got hooked on the Kool-Aid of Cobra Kai and I plowed through the first season and a couple of episodes in the season two. So yeah, uh, yeah, totally. I, I de- and Cobra Kai, if you remember from last time, like I, I watched the first season. I enjoyed it. It was a great stroll down memory lane, but um, I didn't feel super pumped <laughs> to watch the second one. That's right. That's, I think that's you're a little bit more vociferous in your response about watching. <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I but, just uh, feel bad for Ralph Macchio. I'm like, oh, Ralph Macchio, you, you, you need to take some acting classes. You need to go learn Stanislavski and yeah. do some, do, do some warm ups in Hollywood. He's not. He's a nice guy. I'm sure he's great. He's a nice like, guy. That's like he makes good brownies. He's a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like uh, so, Tales from the Yeah, I would recommend sticking with it and get to the end because some of the later episodes are where I think the uh, you know the art artsy kind of sci fi style shines. The last episode is very. Um, Probably, I feel like the most artsy. The last two 
Well, not the last two. Um, but the last episode has a, has kind of really an artsy feel at the end. Uh, and it ends on a note that kind of leaves you feeling satisfied and kind of concluded uh, wow. there. Okay. So I enjoyed it. I would say if, stick with it. If, you can. if there's a conclusion in there, okay, I'm halfway back. I'm like, okay. <laughs> They're not going to leave me hanging for two years or Well, something? I mean, conclusion in the sense, yeah, conclusion in the sense that um, the small group of people in this town that are affected by the supernatural aspect of the loop their stories come to an end uh, by the end right. of this, by the end of the uh, because they all episodes. died. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's surprising? There's only there was there was only one death in the uh, in oh two deaths. There were only two deaths in the entire series. Well, uh, season. I think it's just one. The whole season series is just this one season. I don't think they're making another one. It might be. I haven't looked into it, but anyways, yeah. There's only two deaths, so it's not it's not like a horror thing at all. It's more just um, kind of an artsy sci-fi, like you mentioned before. Anyways, finish that. Um, also, uh, my family, as this is fun, as a family, we are pushing through Attack on Titan, which what is, is an it's an anime that um, oh, it's really long. A lot. Some of those animes, you know, they have lots of seasons and stuff. This one is actually really kind of sucking our whole family. Even my wife watches it with us um there's some pretty annoying characters on it but the concept is very unique it's a very is this unique the one with concept. the crazy giants yeah there's the crazy giants oh, and, and humanity lives inside humanity lives inside kind of a city and there are various walls or or zones inside the city uh like three or four walls and as you get to the you know the walls on the outside it's more kind of wilderness and those are the farmers and as you get closer in you get to you know kind of the city and the high arcs and the bureaucracy and whatever but um, and the the walls are built because they're trying to protect themselves from these giant like, I mean we're talking like you know, anywhere from ten foot to like like a hundred feet tall. Yeah. Giants that look like humanoids, but like they're 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 uh, they don't have the full features. Like they have yeah, the face mutated. and the mouth and the hands, but that's about it, right? They, they, yeah. Yeah, they're kind of mutated. I think I saw the movie version of this at one point in time, and I, I like the creativity of the idea, which is okay. Humans, you're now insects. You you yeah. know, mm-hmm. every time I squash a bug, now I kind of think of Attack on Titan. I'm like, whoa, well, that's what it would be like <laughs> to have a giant just walk by and kill you for no good yeah. reason, except you were in his way. What's interesting about it is that the the giants eat, they eat humans, but the giants are like total idiots. Like there's yeah. no mental prowess yeah. at all there. Yeah. Um and and they actually don't have a digestive system. So the humans just die in the guts. And that's it in the gut and that's it. And so it's like there's this not only is it this like, you know, kind of a horror slash uh survival thing, it's also like a mystery because they're constantly trying to unravel like what are the Titans, where did they come from, like what's their purpose, what's their motivation, why do they keep appearing, you know, even though we kill them, they keep coming back and so it's really an interesting, uh, interesting anime. I would, I would recommend it if you're interested in uh, something that's unique and a little bit different. Hmm. Totally down with unique. Totally down. Yeah, I, I've seen, I've seen some of this in a different format from back in a long time ago. I don't yeah. know if it was the series or the film. I know a lot of these animes get made and remade. And it is an ways. anime, though. So there are the, uh, there is the one or two annoying characters with, uh, you know, that like are kind of like yelling at every single thing and over dramatic, overly dramatic. The Naruto uh, running. Idiot. Yeah, yeah. There is that, but then there's also characters that actually have a lot of depth 
in it that are that kind of bring it back. Well, at least, you know, I know, you know, some of the members of your family are really into anime. If you find yeah. one that like almost everybody can sit down and take in, that's a huge win. Yeah, because, absolutely. Uh, you know, my kids put on Pokemon. I go screaming and running into the other room. <laughs> what do you have against Ash? It, I, there's a generational gap. Let's just say there's a generational gap. I was a little too cool for that when that came out. Yeah. 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 yeah, that all started coming on Saturday morning or replacing all of the cartoons like when I got to high school. And so like that, you know, I mean, that's about the time mm-hmm. that I stopped lazily bumming around Saturday mornings, usually because I had a practice or yeah. had yep. some sort of activity going on. And so my my younger brothers are totally into all of that because it was like on during their prime formation years. But for yeah, me, I'm their, just like their time period. Yeah, for me, I'm like, uh, so where's Batman the animated series? Yeah, yeah. where's GI Joe? Yeah, and I'm <laughs> yeah, amazed how how much yeah. my generation because there was no animated content. They went through all of those years of Warner Brothers and smashed them together in half hour. Yeah, you know Saturday morning things, and we watched everything, and those things were total like works of art made by some of the most creative animators, and comedy writers, and Mel Blanc's amazing, and the music is out of it, out of out of it this world, and I bought a few of them on iTunes, like when you first could buy things on iTunes like 15 years ago, and yeah. I was on my Apple TV la- uh, last night. I'm like, oh look, here's um, Run a Muck Duck with Daffy Duck versus you know versus the animator. I put that on, it like blew the minds of my children. They're like, this is amazing. I'm like, this is what our cartoons were like. They were yeah. so great. Yeah. Sorry, I'll get off my generational range. No. Well, it's... listen, I, I I remember watching like the X Men, and it getting like heavy philosophical in there like you'd have oh, yeah. all these yeah. chats between like magneto and charles xavier about like saving humans versus dominating them you know and oh yeah what is like the value of life and i'm sitting here as like you know a 13 year old going like whoa interesting yeah. and you that know? means they, they they cared about the subject matter you know yeah Dude, i tried to um uh i i put up thundercats the other day Started like I'm gonna start from episode one, (laughs) and I can't tell you, I it was still it held up. I enjoyed it, but you know what? I couldn't stop laughing at the seriousness of it. It was like (laughs) how serious it was trying to take itself. Yeah, at times it was just is I don't know. Maybe it's you know all the things we've been through so far, but still really fun to watch. Uh, Really fun to watch, but it it really kind of. I think maybe there's some comedy there that wasn't intended. Yeah, it <laughs> holds up considerably better than He Man. Oh my uh, gosh! Yes. By a lot. And I've tried to watch, go back and watch Transformers and GI Joe, and it kind of hurts the nostalgia just a little bit because I remember just being totally gaga in love with all that stuff, and then oh, yeah. it's like, oh, now I can see the seams in this that I couldn't see as a kid. So there's there's, there's, a, there's a reason I haven't put on old episodes of Airwolf. Oh man, yeah. Airwolf. Yes. <laughs> or it's so unrealistic. Yes. Do you remember? Why would um, these guys have an attack helicopter? What are they? Who licensed them? How yes. can they just go into air, airspace? Stop, 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 stop. I can't hear these questions. <laughs> <laughs> In the eighties we didn't care. You could have a no. team of former Vietnam guys that drove around in a black van with a red, red stripe and yeah. had machine guns and, and, and made flamethrowers out of out of uh, pipes. It was so great. Sorry, I'll shut up now. <laughs> no, it's, I, I've tried to watch MacGyver, and I can't watch it anymore. <laughs> oh, it's painful. It is. It's, it's pretty painful. 
But you know what? So it's one of those things. It's like um, it's like Halo won the very original and original Xbox. Like I'll never allow myself to play it because I cherish the memories too much. Yeah. Yeah. We've been through. We've we've come so far. Um, actually, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways. All right. Last thing. Last thing uh, on mine. Um, just to get it back on gear. Uh, so I um, I was spent some time investigating uh, relativity. Um, I think that's how you would say it because they, they intentionally left an I out of the end there. So R E L A T I V T Y. I thought that com. was a typo. Nope, that's intentional. Um, okay. It's a it's two brothers who decided when they were young they were 15 years old. They said we want to we want to get a VR headset, but we can't afford them, so we're going to make our own. So nice. they have an open there's an open source project. Well, hear me out on this. So there's an open source project uh, where they have all their plans up there and their software drivers, so you can make your own. Uh, HMD head-mounted display, and uh, there's a Steam VR driver for it, so you can use it to play games on your um, on your computer. So it's a really cool concept. It's really awesome that it's open source, and 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 uh, you know the hacker community can get into it. Here's the problem. So I looked at this years uh, several years ago when I was playing Elite Dangerous. And I wanted to get a head tracker um, so that I could play it. Uh, I didn't. I same thing. I, this is before I had my PSVR. I didn't want to dump the money on it. Um, back when the head heads-up displays were really expensive, and they were like six hundred to twelve hundred dollars. Right. right. Um, so you can build this entire relativity headset for about two hundred bucks, and that sounds like a pretty good price, right? Except, uh oh, the Oculus Quest Two, uh -oh. which has got a major company funded behind it, right? Facebook, which yep. has had a pretty successful VR platform with the Oculus Rift before. The Oculus Quest 2, which is a complete heads-up, heads-up or uh, HMD with a computer inside it, so that you can play it unattached, so untethered with your PC, Whoa. and it has uh, gesture controllers, is only two ninety-nine. Oh, with ninety-nine dollars, and you bought into corporate America. <laughs> yeah, ninety-nine dollars, <laughs> and you have a product that was, you know, that has a full manufacturing process behind it and quality control. And a giant software library, and I mean, just yeah. The thing is, is and I, this is the thing I looked at. And I was like, oh, "This is interesting. Can I get this two hundred dollar price down?" So I went online. And I did. I was doing a lot of research, you know. And I'm an engineer by trade, so I was digging into this stuff, and I found the most expensive part of the HMD, as you would guess, is the actual display itself. Yeah. Because if you think your monitor that you've got sitting on your desk, whether you got a four K or two K monitor on your desk. That 4K or 2K screen has to be compressed down into about a two and a half to three inch screen yeah. sitting in yeah. front of your eyes. It's not you're just cutting your screen down to two, three inches. You're compressing 2K pixels into a two to three inch right, right, right. area. And the displays themselves cost, I think the cheapest display I could find online was about 160 bucks for the two, for, the, for your two eyes. Yeah. And you think about, you know, that's what it comes down to is the big companies. Like uh, Facebook, they're they're taking advantage of economies of scale, so yep. they're they're able to get these things mass produce them and drive the price down. And it's like, if you know, that's just where it is. If I think you know, if you're interested in hacking and learning how this stuff works yourself, relativity is maybe a good way to go if that's what you want to do. If you're just excited to get into VR, just wait another month, save up another hundred bucks, and buy an Oculus Quest too. Yeah, or, or pre-order. They're for pre-order right now. Uh, I, I just need one that won't make me throw up. Yeah, so, <laughs> right. It, what what interests me with Oculus Quest 2 is that they have an office suite for it that has cameras. It has a camera on the front so it can overlay 
it can overlay your real environment that's in front of you over the VR world. So it presents like an AR situation, right? Oh, okay. And then, huh. so it'll throw up kind of monitors in front of you, web browsers in front of you in your room, in your real world, while still displaying the real world to you so that you can still see around you while you have the heads up. That's that interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it, how it works. But anyways, huh. that was, so that's kind of the last thing I did was kind of just toy around and do some engineering nice. on that. That's yeah, great. Cool. cool. That's exciting. Damn, what you got for us this week? Not too geeky. Done a lot of work on my house and stuff like that. But I did download Scythe for my mobile device. So, oh, nice. I am a big fan of gamer games making their way into a digital platform. It's one of those things that I like about Asmodee. They try to monetize all of their properties by, by converting them into mobile phones. So this is, you know, going all the way back to the 90s. This is how I got good at playing Risk. Mm-hmm. I was playing hundreds of games on my dad's Mac Classic, right? Um, and uh, that's that's how I got good at playing Catan and you know bunch of other bunch of other ones that are out there. So oh yeah, uh, Ticket to Ride is one that I still play on my phone quite a bit. And so then Scythe came out. I'm like, you know, it'd be great. It would be so great to just be awesome at Scythe without having to really spend a lot of money and get guys to play it because we played it at a catacon. The three right. of us did. And I remember how awesome it was and how rich textured it was. And the minis that this guy had put together were so beautifully, artfully rendered. And then I started playing it on my phone and I totally sucked and forgot how to play. And I haven't picked it back up. But I have it on my <laughs> phone. And I'm like, I'm going to have to watch YouTube videos on how to play Scythe because I don't even remember how to play Scythe. How, so. uh, how much was it? It was nine whole dollars. Oh, that's not bad. So, I mean, for me, if I, I would go spend $100 on Scythe and the expansion and it would sit on my shelf and I would know less about it than I know right now yeah. from just playing it on yeah. my phone. There, so, There's a version on uh, Steam as well, I think. Uh, and also Tabletop Simulator. There yeah. you go. There you go. See? I, See? I'll tell you, I've tried. I've try, I'll tell you what game I tried to play on mobile, which failed horribly, was Axies and Allies. Oh, I, it, that's not. It's a it different game. There was that too game. much. Yeah, there was too much going on. It'd be like, "All right, are you done with your turn?" Yes, and they say, "Okay, it's now the computer's turn." And they would be like, "Flip, flip, screen, flip, 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 flip." You're all right. You're going. I'm like, I don't even know like what happened on the world. And so I spend like ten minutes just scrolling the tiny little map around, trying to figure out where all the pieces moved to. It was a total failure on that end. I actually think I requested a refund on that. No way. This isn't happening on his little device. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I hear I, I hear the um, the Scythe version on um, on uh, Steam is uh, I think you can play multiplayer online. I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, uh, it's a game that's got really good bones to it, and I'm not in love with worker placement games, but I like worker placement where there's giant mechs that can go kill things. So um, right. Uh, if I've got to do worker placement, I need to go kill things um, to kill workers. So I'm excited about. I'm excited about that. It, you know, I've I've beaten the heck out of you know these uh, dopamine games. Uh, the one dopamine game that I keep going higher in the rank. I don't want to talk about it because I I'm way too addicted. But so I need to break my addiction by putting something else on my phone. Uh, my other Geek Week thing because I don't have a lot is the Venture Brothers got canceled. I was in on the ground floor of Venture Brothers. I watched like episode four back in 2003, and I was hooked. And is so, this a real estate thing? What, Venture Brothers? <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, wait, are you serious? Have you never seen The Venture Brothers? Are you serious? I've never seen The Venture Brothers. Okay, so <laughs> okay. It's, it started out, I know I know we were talking about- Am I thinking about, Property Brothers? Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. You're just- Dude, I, I don't torture you like this. Um, what is this show? I will is say it, I have not seen Venture Brothers. Okay, so- I couldn't tell if it was going to be too dirty or not. It's not compared to what we compared to the fact that on the last episode of this podcast we were talking about watching the boys. Uh, which I, I'm, I'm up to which, date. Which <laughs> you were what talking about? Not we. Oh, okay. We yeah, not we. Not, not, not we. But let's Justin and I. Yeah. Uh, considering yeah. I'm sure a, you guys will be fine. Considering there's some really salty stuff out there, Venture Brothers is still. Oh yeah. It's still on Adult Swim, and they bleep out like all a, the swear words. It's like a dirty Johnny Quest or something. Oh, it's an Adult Swim show. Okay. Yes, right. it's Sorry Adult Swim, that. and it goes back. And the first few episodes are just like a riff on Johnny Quest, but it becomes way beyond that very quickly, and it develops its own separate mythos and its own separate rules and its own universe that has superheroes and magic and secret spy agents and. Um, undercover and and space adventures. The whole thing is great from top to bottom. I and they canceled it, so my love of it has like multiplied out um, because it, it's been. They're not going to do season eight, so it's not even like it's going to leave you hanging. There's seven seasons and a whole bunch of specials to watch, so it is great. And now that my wife randomly signed up for Hulu, but she didn't get the commercial free version, son of a mother. Sorry. Um, so I am slugging through the commercials, but I'm rewatching Venture Brothers from the season one, from the beginning and absolutely loving it. It's funny. It's cool. And the characters are likable. And yes, they're all flawed. Everybody's every character on the show has massive flaws, but at the end of the day, even the bad guys are relatively good people. And it was such a breath of fresh air compared to watching the boys. <laughs> Let me just say. <laughs> so, so you watch the boys so that when you watch the other shows, they just don't seem as bad. I'm like, yeah, this show is way not as oh, bad. Look so. how clean this is. I know. It's, it's like practically Disney compared to that. Right. So anyway. <laughs> uh, I, it, whatever you think of, of, of adult swim cartoons there, I, in, in my personal opinion, there, there is no better Adult Swim animated show ever created than 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 Adventure Brothers, and it's animated in in two D ink. Um, There's not a lot. Have you of seen a, Metalocalypse? Now, this beats Metalocalypse because I hate metal. Oh <laughs> man, it, you can't beat Deathlock. Yeah, right, I, you okay. can. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you, you sure can, and it's this. So, if you like. And guess what? Somewhere around episode seven, they're doing flashbacks of when they were playing D&D in the 70s. So there is a massive geek. I mean, it is probably one of the geekiest cartoons ever, ever made. Um, and uh, if, if you haven't checked it out and you want something that is really going to pay off after six or seven seasons, uh, sign up. It's fun. That's a lot of episodes to watch too. Is what like 10, 10 episodes a season or something like that? Eight, ten to thirteen, yeah. It, dep- it yeah. depends. Some of them were short seasons and some of them were long. But cool. Uh, I just I I bought a bunch of bunch of episodes over the years over iTunes and I mm-hmm. was just I was trying to decide which how if I should complete my library and then my wife got Hulu and I'm like okay I've got them all now I there will we complete go. my library so nice. Oh, and just one more quick thing. They've had real voice talent, like Stephen Colbert was a voice on there, and Patrick Warburton, who played Putty on Seinfeld, was on there, and a bunch of other folks that you would recognize over the years have, have been on to do voices. and It's just classic. I love it, love it, love it, love it. I'll shut up. Nice. So yeah. Metalocalypse has Mark Hamill. <laughs> 
Dude, I'm, I I tried to watch Metalocalypse, but if if you're if you're not a fan of death it's metal, a different, it doesn't it's really. It's a different, it's, yeah, it is. But yeah. they they ran back to back back in the day. I mean, my Venture did, Brothers yeah, would true. would be over, and Metal Megalopolis would come on. So. And that does it for my Geek Geek Week. Nice, nice. Uh, okay, so uh let's see how do i want to start with this okay i'll just start i'm going to start in chronological order here i had actually a very productive geek week um i finished the book the last chancers the 13th legion it's a warhammer 40k uh book i think i told you a while back i bought the um humble bundle that had like 15 books in it or something like that so i've been kind of churning through those these are you know pretty easy reads i mean they're not it's not like reading crime and punishment so i'm able to get through them pretty quickly let me ask you um, something do you read these yeah. on your kindle or on your phone or what on my phone how do you do you are you obviously you are because you just finished it but yeah uh, what's your opinion would you rather read a book on a kindle or on your phone um i mean i aren't they kind of one and the same in your opinion well i think they have very different aesthetics when you're looking at the screen like the screen Structures. So you can change the phone aesthetic to look very much like the Kindle one. Like you can give it the paper texture if you oh, want, can you? you know. Interesting. Uh, more often than not, I do a black screen with white text and okay. I even put my phone in read mode so it's um got sort of a sepia filter over stuff so uh-huh. that it's like yeah. not the blue light coming in, you know. Um, cuz I'll read before I go to sleep. Um and uh, anyway, so I read it on my phone. It's through the Kindle app that I'm using it. Right. By the way. Right. So yeah. um because I imported all the books into Kindle just because it was easier to keep track across devices or whatever. Um, and sometimes during lunch break, I'll, I'll, you know, just read it on the cloud reader, stuff like that. Anyway, so read that. It's a really interesting book. Um, it's a, uh, it's kind of about the Astra Militarum, which is like the, the, the humans, not like the demigod space Marines, you know? So these are like the humans that are like conscripted into the wars of, of earth across the stars. And this group of people were the penal legion. So they were convicted of crimes, um, like while they were in the, uh, military and basically forced into like these crazy mm-hmm. missions, you know. And um, as you're going along, you're realizing that this is ending up like uh, the Dirty Dozen or Hogan's <laughs> Heroes or something like that. You yeah. know what I mean? Where like they're being prepped for this mission, and there's only like 12 of them left out of like 3,000, you know. And like they're primed and ready to go. So it was a pretty fun like ending to the book, you know. And in a really cool like at first I was like, okay, like. Why do we keep getting put through these weird scenarios that they're going on? It's almost like the author had like a bunch of like, hey, it'd be cool if they could do that. Oh, and then that, you know. But as the book kind of went on, like you started to see like this common thread of them being prepared for like a final mission that they were going to go on. And it was a Dirty Dozen style, like we got to go raid this thing. And, you know, it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. It, it, it was a good book. Cool. Um, yeah, like that. Um I ended up playing my first in-person Warhammer game since you and I played at Lincoln's house in March. Oh wow, really? Oh baby, yeah. It's been that yeah. while, long. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You I played, mean, I've done a lot on tabletop you played our, simulator. Our buddy uh, Matt Barker. Yeah, I played Matt Barker up at Huzzah, yeah. actually. Yeah. Oh, Huzzah! Wow. Yeah, because I mean, I were I was working up there, and we, he and I have been trying to get together. And the problem is, is when my schedule changed, as I think I talked about before, I'm not getting off until like five thirty 
yeah. oftentimes. And so our local gaming store, um, Guild Gaming, is only open until 7 because that's how late the mall is open now. Yeah. They're not open till 10 every day, right? So they're only open till 7. So we um, we couldn't – like by the time I got down to Guild Gaming, it would be like 6.30. Yeah. You know? So I said, dude, if you could meet me up at Huzzah at 5.30 – like, we can totally play a game. And actually, it was really interesting. We played two games because he gave me first turn, and I absolutely demolished him with my army. Um, you playing wow. orcs? With, with, uh, I was playing with my orcs. It's yep. all those reps yeah. you did with all those high-end players, man. <laughs> was he well, playing his uh He's his, playing uh, his, his character and overlord. Yeah, his flying sky yeah. dwarfs, right? Um, yeah, I totally went in, and it was like by turn by the top of turn three, he was tabled. Like completely tabled, you know. Um, so that is that does nothing more than feed an addiction to a minis game. You know. Oh, that it totally t- does. You're like totally oh, does. I gotta buy yeah. more. I got. Let's play more. Let's buy more. He's let's like, play more. He's like re-rack them now. Yeah. Well, it's it's really <laughs> funny though, actually, because I was surprised he gave me he he outdropped me, which means he had the choice to go first or not. Uh, and he and gave he it to gave you. He gave me he gave me first turn, and I I looked at him and I said, "Really? You want to give me first turn?" And he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, I love it when your opponent okay. says that. Are you yeah. sure? Yeah. So I was like, okay, you know. And so then I just was demolishing him. And as we were playing the game, I'm like, why, why would you want to give me first turn? Like, why? You know. Well. You and know. he was telling it. He was like, because the internet told me so. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And now, granted, this guy is an extremely experienced player. Yeah, I mean, he finished top twenty in the country with his with an underpowered army. Really? Like he really, he's a good player. Am I right, Jason? This is, yeah, he's very. This is a new army to him. This is a new army to him. So yeah. he's kind of learning this. So so um, we said, hey, this got this ended really quickly, and it's true. Our game ended pretty quick. I said, let's re-rack it exactly the same way we had it. And I remembered how my deployment was. He remembered how his was pretty much. And I said, let's put it exactly the same way we had it, and then you go first. And he's like, okay, and because we were talking different scenarios, as I, mm-hmm. as you know, I was slow. I mean, not slowly, but absolutely demolishing his army. We we're talking to, like what ifs, you know. And so he goes first, tabled me in turn three. Oh wow! You know, and it was, it was, it was seriously a tale of two cities. It, you know what I mean? It yeah. was like, and and we were talking about it, and we said, listen, you know, because I said. You the internet says go second, but you have to realize like you've got a you know a, a very powerful mechanic that you got going on with you, and if you did this or that, and you know he was he was playing around with some different things, and um I think he had like a serious like you could see like kind of light bulb go on, and like he had like a serious revelation, which is great because he's going to a tournament this weekend up in, in Pennsylvania. So I think he's going to do really well up there with the army that he's got. Yeah, he was my first uh, match back after being had a long hiatus as well with COVID. Yeah. Um, I played my ogres against him, and um, I think we kind of ended it as a draw. We ran out of time. The store was closing, and we ran through several different scenarios, and neither of us could kind of say who was going to win yeah. at the end. It was such a close game uh, in terms of points. Victory. He He almost tabled me. But I had been objective. I'd been objective focused and ah. had gotten the points up. So that's kind of yeah. why we weren't yeah. sure who was going to win. But he is an, an incredible player. And the other thing about Matt is he is also an amazing just opponent to play against because he has such good etiquette. Yeah, um, he's absolutely. just such a fun player to play. Um, 
and just to hang out with and be around. He's always trying to help you feel like you're having a good time at the table. Um, I think he has definitely taught me a lot. And even like I'll make I'll make a move and he'll be like, tell me why you did that. And he'll walk you through it, right? He's he he won't hold back, but he'll he'll walk through. Things well, and with I you. think sometimes he wants to legitimately know because yeah. there's times that he's asked me that, and I said, "Well, because this is what I want to do." And he goes, "I did not see that coming." You know what I mean? He's yeah. like, "That's interesting that you would think that because I did not see that coming." And he says, "Let's play it out. Let's see how it goes." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, yeah, he's a great opponent. I've learned a ton from him. He was my first ever tournament match i ever played against was against matt um that's right I remember like ever him. you know and um he beat me soundly and i totally misplayed my entire army um but we had some right. epic mo- <laughs> we've had some he and i have had some epic epic games like we were talking about the other day we had one game come down literally in the end it was one dice roll one <sighs> dice roll it was like a someone save like had he made the save he would have won the game if he lost the save I would have won the game. Something like that. Wow. He, and he has awesome. definitely um, creamed me pretty hard several times, uh, but I always learn from it, and it's always fun time to play with that guy. Yeah, absolutely. So it was a great one. And, you know, it made me think so much like, listen, the um, the tabletop simulator community is alive and well right now. There's people who are out there, like, just gaming online, and I'm so glad that they are because they're having a great time trying out new things. I've I've been asked several times, do I think that Tabletop Simulator is going to ever replace in person? Absolutely not. Especially after having gone and like moving around the models. Oh no, it was so much fun. It's just there's there's a feeling about doing it in person and a camaraderie that you can never get on Tabletop Simulator. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I agree. So so much fun. It was it was so much fun. Um. So yeah. Uh. I also picked up, um, Fallout seventy six. Because it's free on Games Pass. And the most recent update called The Wastelands or Wastelanders or something Mm -hmm. like that um, added in a whole bunch of NPCs and quest givers. So now there's a little bit of a story behind things. There's a little bit more of a framework. Um, When Fallout 76 first came out, it was kind of akin to Sea of Thieves. I don't know if you ever played that game. Oh yeah, the the where you just kind of got on a ship and you're like, well, I don't really know what to do. And we're just gonna go that way. So we're just gonna go that way, you yeah. know. And you sort of figured stuff out as you went along. That was kind of how Fallout seventy six was, and now there's much more of a, especially like in the beginner, like, hey, you know, there's these quest lines that are gonna help you get leveled up. They're gonna help you teach about the world, what's going on, that you know, you're not just out there wandering around like a total noob, um, forever. So, um, I've been enjoying it. It feels like Fallout uh, 3 uh, more than Fallout 4, I think. Uh, which Fallout was the one in DC? Uh, that was Fallout 3. That was 3? Okay, yeah. Because Fallout was... 4 was in Boston. Yeah, 3 was the last one I played. Oh, and then there was Vegas in between, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 3 was the last one I played. The DC one was the last one I played. Yeah. So... Um, so it's fun and it's free and um, I think this game would be so much more fun with other players and I think it's designed to be more fun and they have updated their um, social mechanics I think so that it's easier to form groups easier to like do quests oh, so it is a, a multiplayer game okay yeah cool. yeah it's a it's basically an MMO it's almost like a weird MMO PVE it's kind of like uh, did you ever play in the latest um, uh, Grand Theft Autos 
Not Grand Theft yeah. Auto. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, Ghost Recon. The latest uh, Ghost Recon. I did not. Okay, they they've kind of like you can you grew up up in like a squad of five with random people or your friends and okay. kind of it's you playing against the the world. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been pretty good. I I know that there's been a lot of negative press out there on this game, and I can see where you know I was talking with my brother. I can see where that still sort of exists a little bit, but I think that a lot of the recent updates has fixed it quite a bit. What and were so, some of the negative things? Um, a lot of the group mechanics were really goofy. You couldn't like talk to each other very well, um, and you um, like if you were both working on a quest. Like you had to get it individually. Like you couldn't be, you couldn't have like a group quest going on. Oh, so that, that if you sucks. like go to, if you go to kill one guy, and Jason, you shot it, and I was in the group, we'd have to wait for the dude to respawn for me oh, to get it. Oh come on, this that's like old <laughs> problems. Yes, yeah. yes, I know. So <sighs> apparently, apparently a lot of that stuff has been fixed, and um, yeah. this is this is all secondhand from my brother, so I may not be getting it totally right. But there was issues with that. Um, there was. Uh, um, there's like, there's weird social areas that if you go in, like, it's like, <clears throat> if we both enter in one indoor space, it's like your indoor space, not my indoor space. So I can't accept or reject any quests in there. Only you can. And so then I'd have to go back out and then we'd have to go in under my instance and do the same thing, you know, uh, a bunch of weird so, stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little weird stuff like that. But, um, again, I think, I think that, some of it's been sort of um, smoothed out. It sounds like they met their work. ship date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Which is funny because it really was just a Fallout 4 reskin. They just kind of made a new map. And, I mean, all the mechanics of Fallout 4 are still there, you huh. know. And, um, and they released it a year after Fallout 4 came out, I think. You know, and um, so, like, it's been out. This This game has been out for, like, three years now, I think. Yeah, 2018. Yeah. All right. So two years. Close. Yeah. Right around. Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I think it's just now to the point where it should have been like released like now. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like right. it's kind of like you know how Destiny felt more complete. Oh yeah, than that Destiny that two like two year long beta. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's so. no amount of playtesting equal to releasing <laughs> the game. There's just yeah. the, the scale of bugs you will find is just. Well, and Bethesda is notorious for their bugs too. They just like notorious for them. They they need to make their fifty nine ninety nine real fast and yeah. then worry about it later. Yeah. <laughs> so the the last two things that I did this week. Um, you were, got more. I do. You're this was amazing. a busy week for me. Uh, last two yeah. things I did this week is I all caught up on the Lovecraft Country episodes. Oh cool. yeah. Um, cool. So so I like the show. But it's feeling a bit disjointed for me. And I guess the source material was sort of a bunch of, I think I told you this, like, like they're short stories that sort of had a linear thread through them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're almost all independent ones. Well, I think that the show has taken it to an even higher level where some of these independent stories are feeling a little too independent. And the only thing that's tying them together are the characters. And just when it feels like there's some momentum of being like, okay, this is building towards something, man, they zig left or they zag right, and it's just like, ah. So I'm having a continuity issue with this show. Oh, no. Even though I think that the subject material is kind of interesting. All right. 
that and HBO's thrown in so much like social justice stuff that it's it's kind of painful to watch. <laughs> no, we're slowly going to back away from this yeah. this conversation. Yeah, I'm not, that's all yeah. I'm going to say. Gonna well, you're a, in. You're in for the full ride, right? You wink, wink. Yeah. You're, you're, you love the show. You're going to keep watching it. You recommend right. everybody else should watch it, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So moving on to the other HBO show that I watched. Um, <laughs> this one is called. Raised by Wolves. Yeah, have you guys heard of this I, one? I, I don't have HBO, but I would be interested in watching this show. I, I've it's seen all very, the promos and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's um, it's probably the least HBO show HBO show that's out there. There's like no boobs. Let me throw that out there. <laughs> in it, you know. Um, I don't know what we're gonna do now. Exactly. It's, uh, yeah. but, and it's super hardcore sci-fi. Unrealistic. You know? So it's directed by Ridley Scott. So there's mm-hmm. that it's got that going for it, right? And the premise is that war has been rampaging on Earth between these these this group called the Mithraic Society or something like that, and they believe in this god named Saul, and the atheists who don't believe in it. And um, this couple end up figuring out that there's this ship that's leaving Earth, and it's a believer ship, and so they end up killing these two. Um, believers and stealing their faces essentially through like this plastic surgery process that they do. Oh my. So they stow away on there. Meanwhile, um, these two androids were sort of reprogrammed by this former believer turned atheist and he reprogrammed them and stowed away six baby embryos in the, in the lady's um, abdomen and sent them off to this habitable, habitable planet with the mission of, saving humanity right because earth was failing and so they land on this they land on this um planet and these two um androids called mother and father they end up quote-unquote hatching these babies and raising them and you know after a period of time probably like 12 years or something like that the mithriac ship that these two atheists that stole the you know believers faces show up at the planet um and it's some craziness ensues and um it's it's been a really interesting show i will say that the pacing i feel like is a little weird sometimes like it goes like real fast and then real slow and then real slow again and then real fast and um we're on episode nine so i think there's only one more i i don't know it, it it's good but um it's gotten really weird sometimes I'm well and I, we haven't had a a really good hard sci-fi show out lately that's really compelling and yeah. that one seems compelling and i'm i'm interested in it and i may figure out a way to to get caught up yeah it's interesting uh i i i have enjoyed it, it there's some uh interesting aspects in there so and look anything ridley scott does i'm like i'm in it like he's earned his he's earned his cred with me right yeah, 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 yeah. Aliens. There you go. Bang. You know, right, done. Uh, Blade Gladiator. Runner, Hello? Gladiator, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's got some stinkers out there, but trust me, you would love to have the stinkers compared to all of his winners. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's a package deal, and there's not a lot of trash. So it's definitely some hard sci-fi stuff, you know? Um, it's almost got a bit of a Dune feel because you're on this, like, sort of barren planet trying to survive against the elements type of thing, um, you know? But... Um, it's good. It's interesting. I, I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, you know, I don't think it's a perfect series, but I think it's I think it's really good. It's That's been great. enjoyable. Um, 
I know we're done with Geek Week, and I know this is a 43-minute Geek Week, but I have a minor <laughs> update. Yeah. We talked about Lore Smith last time. Yeah. And I had prepped, you know, three different adventures. We used one and a half of them. And what did they start doing? They started ransacking the bad guy's ship. And I was using the searches deck, coming up with highly detailed things that they found That's that were awesome. loosely related to the plot and the players. And they don't know, they don't listen to the podcast, so they don't know about these decks that I'm using. They're like, well, obviously, Dan knew the name of the planet and he had this much detail. So this is obviously what we need to follow. So they're straight <laughs> up going down the lost red herring train oh, really that is fast. so fantastic. Fantastic. Because it, it has upended kind of the tropes of sitting down and playing a role-playing game when the game master goes, you don't find anything. There's just nothing. There's just a, a box of a bolts and screws. Oh, that's disappointing. But when yeah. you can like weave a story about them opening a drawer and finding something, they're like, oh, we're making progress to the story. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. All right. I'll, that's that's awesome. all I had to say about that. It's working swimmingly, and I'll keep you up to date on other hilarity that ensues with this tool. You, you reminded me that as part of the Geek Week that I was planning to do last week, um, we did a Rogue Trader campaign, um, and which I thought was a, a ton of fun. Jason and one of our other uh, members tried to, um, to, I thought, did a good job of pulling off sort of a casino, not really a heist, but um, con. You yeah, know? con's a good word. Yeah. yeah, so it was a casino con. And uh, unfortunately for them, the whole casino route was a giant red herring for my game. And, <laughs> but boy, did they play it out. They played it out. Right, Jason? Yeah, it was good. <laughs> a sandbox is a sandbox is a sandbox. Yeah, it was good. It was so funny because I had, I had lunch with Lincoln like the, the Monday after, Jason. And he was oh, like, yeah. dude, I put in all that work and Jeff just ran away. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty good. We he had a did, good time. He did uh, murder a guy in a taxi with a flamethrower. <laughs> he did. <laughs> well, we yeah. can't have this guy running off anywhere, so uh, <laughs> and everybody will buy you a ride back to town. <laughs> and Jason's character died. Dan? Yeah, I did. Oh, I good. I character death is so good for this. Yeah, they need to die. It's good for the group. It's good for the group. I was getting a little bored with the character too, honestly. He was freaky deaky. Like we would, you know, we'd be doing something mundane, and he would conjure up like six ghosts to like <laughs> mess with the brain of the guy that we're talking to. I'm like, Unintentionally, it's like, can you just dial that down a level, dude? We're just trying to be cool, man. Be cool. Keep your keep your spectrals in your pants. Uh, I will say that for me as a GM, it was a little tricky managing your mind probe thing. Yeah, I I tell you that's one thing about the system. I think some of the rules were not written very well, and the rules for the psychic um, needs they needs work. Yeah. They needed a lot of work. I felt like they were OP, honestly. Yeah, yeah, because the mind, you know, like you could just be like, well, we're gonna find out super important plot details just yep. by getting a, like a <laughs> easy success. Hold them down, mind boys. Yeah. yeah, that is not that bad if if the rest of the group is trying to go from one combat scenario to the next. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, we're done with that combat. Okay, uh, mind reader, tell us what we should do next. Okay, let's yeah, go exactly. fight that guy. It was funny is it's the first time in the entire campaign my guy ever took any bit of damage. It's true, <laughs> and it just totally. And boy, he him. took it. Oh, he took it all right. He took it like a man and died. He went oh, and joined his ghosts yeah. that he would conjure up for no good reason. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, anyway, good, good stuff. Good times. All right, Geek All right, Week's over. We're going to do the fastest news possible because, man, this episode is going long. We've got we a, well, so Listen, we're packing two weeks' worth of stuff in here. That's what's happening. I think we shouldn't skip any more weeks. I feel bad for voting against <laughs> doing it last week. Okay, so Monolith Edition announced Batman Gotham City Chronicles RPG, a licensed Batman role-playing game. Game's going to be based on the 2D20 system. It's unclear if it will be from the uh, the 3.x OGL era or the modern 5e OGL. But uh, there's going to be a Kickstarter out there. They're going to have five books. Three have been revealed. Gotham's Heroes Rulebook, Gotham City Setting Guide, and Gotham's Chronicles Scenario Book, and two other campaign settings to be revealed during the Kickstarter. So that sounds cool if you want to get your Batman on. Batman games for RPGs have always been tricky because are you playing Batman if right. there's one character who's Batman and who's going to do that? So every version of the Batman RPG, I'm always curious about how they handle that. You know, yes, That's exactly how the Witcher game was. Like as I'm staring at the book that's on my shelf right now, you look at the game and it's like, well, who doesn't want to be a Witcher? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Like, okay. Who doesn't want to be a Jedi? Right, right. Star yeah. Wars, yeah. Well, you know, that's an. Or in Star Trek, there's got to be a captain of the ship, right? So who's Kirk? Yeah. You know, but anyway, yeah. uh, that sounds cool. I hope they do a great job. Um, in video game news, Baldur's Gate 3 developers Larian Studios announced that the early access period for the game will be wah wah delayed. So um, they're looking for the new release date, uh, will be October 6th, should be right around around the corners that should be cool um now this is the big news we talked about this before the wait is over and we now officially know that hero quest is coming back through avalon hill and hasbro pulse yes sort of an in-house crowdfunding-esque pre-order platform hasbro pulse allows fans to back a project and if it meets its funding threshold the product will go into production along mm. with stretch goals and pulse exclusives Sounds like they don't want to give Kickstarter any money. Uh, in, yeah. in this case, the new version of Hero Quest has two pledged levels: the base game at $99.99 and the base game plus two expansions at $149.99. The game is mostly the same as the original US, using the US version of the rules and quest book with only minor updates. There are also stretch goals for a new player character class of the Warlock, extra minis and dice, and a new quest book. Yeah. The minis have also been updated to full plastic. That's right, gentlemen, full plastic instead of cardboard chits on stands. So that's pretty exciting stuff for all of the Hero Quest fans out there. I'm no, I've never played it yet. I am excited. Well, you'll play it, it in fall of twenty one. Yes, twenty one. Are you going to get it, Dan? Um, I currently don't have a fantasy dungeon crawler. I have Lord of the Rings Journeys of Middle Earth, which is more of a... That's a fun one. Go from large geographies from point A to point B, and sometimes you go into a dungeon, but I don't have a legit OG dungeon crawler. I could be persuaded to get Hero Quest because everyone so loves it so much. So it is fully funded. Oh, baby. Um, it's at 1.6 million, and that means that they have unlocked one, two, three stretch goals, three out of the five. And I wouldn't be surprised if they added maybe a couple if they keep getting more interest, you know? Um, but What happens if more companies yeah. say, we don't need Kickstarter, we've got enough interest, we question. can just do our own and not give them a percentage? 
um, and then have all of our money up front for the first two runs of the game. That's I cool. think I think that's an interesting prospect for a company like Simon, who live off of Kickstarters. Right? Yeah. But for a uh, self-publisher company, they don't have the infrastructure to start up nope. their own Kickstarter. Right? But a, but so a Hasbro does. I Hasbro mean, does. Yeah. Yep. Go figure. Or an Asmodee. Maybe this is like the future of game publishing. It could be. Or some of these big companies. Well, it's you know, already, it's already own, funded. Their own Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, the, 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 the material here is such a strong presence yep. that you they could do it um, no problem, even if they were a no-name company. Yeah. They could probably just start a web page, and they would still get fully funded through it, it's just com- because it's, it's Hero Quest. Yeah, people yeah. are like, oh, yeah, everybody loved that and talked about that, and I never got to play, and my friend yeah. had it, but his version got trapped under a waterbed when it exploded. And right. all that stuff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think that where where Kickstarter and those other ones will help are the the little indie dudes yep. who, yep. like, nobody knows anything about them, and somebody just kicks on Kickstarter and says, I'm just curious to see what's out there. Yeah, it's good stuff. Or you go to Gen Con and you're like, hey, this is a fun little game, and like, yeah, we're on Kickstarter. Yep. Yeah. That kind right? of stuff. And Kickstarter adds a little bit of legitimacy to some of the small people too. It does, right? It does. Like if they're like, "Oh, I've got my own pre-order website," you're like, "Yeah." Uh, well, you know, it's kind of like the way CCGs propped up traditional publishing role-playing games for years. Kickstarter is propping up creative board games and all sorts of stuff that have to do with the gaming universe. So I have no negativity about uh, Kickstarter and. As yeah. long as, oh, oh, here's another Geek Week. They told me they were going to ship my uh, Cortex Oh, boy. Book. Finally. <laughs> they said, you better confirm your address. I'm like, oh, baby, come bring it at, throw it at Dude, me. I'm ready to It's going to be like a one-page laminated sheet I'm, I'm <laughs> with, so... with an apology letter. We're sorry. Oh, we're, we're going to do a review, and we're going to give away the book. On this show, people, it'll be our first giveaway, which is the... Cortex rule book that took me three and a half years to get. Wow. Nice. I don't want it on my shelf. It'll just make me angry. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All so right. What else we got? Fall of 21. Yeah. Fall of 21 is when it's coming, which year, actually, to be honest with you, is, yeah, but honestly, that's not that far for a lot of these games. Like, if you do a Kickstarter, sometimes it's a, as much as two years away. Yeah, I think Deep Madness was a year and a half for me to get it. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, I'll, let me hit the other uh, couple news items, Dan, since I put them in there. Sweet. Um, one of the big news is news coming out news is, news coming out of the video game arena is that Microsoft has acquired Zenimax. I think if you are a video gamer, you have to have been living under a rock to have missed that one because it was such big mm-hmm. news. Um, Zenimax is the parent company to, of course, Bethesda. Um, so we were talking Bethesda games earlier, Fallout 76. Um, that's on the Microsoft Games Pass. Um, Doom Eternal is another Bethesda game that's coming to the Microsoft Games Pass on 1 October. So in just a couple of days. Um, you know, you're going to start seeing like the entire Bethesda library being offered on the games pass for free, which I think is amazing. So, you know, the remastered Skyrim, I think is eventually going to make, make it there. You know, some of the oblivion games, um, the elder scrolls online is already on there. So, uh, I think it makes, it makes a lot of sense for Microsoft to have done this. I mean, they were talking about 
being in the market of acquiring a big game studio to compete with the exclusives that Sony was allegedly locking down for their PS5. Ooh. So this is a big, big competitor. I mean, with like how much like, you know, um, Sky, um, the Elder Scrolls Six is one that's being worked on and um, that will be huge. And so the question that's out there for everybody is, um, will Microsoft make these exclusive to PC and the Xbox and cut Sony out of it? Uh, I I would say yes, but I, I don't know enough about it. What do you think? I think that they may do a hybrid model. They may make it exclusive for like six months. Yeah, until they, and that, they or a year, they and then all the money and the then table. keep it on the Microsoft Games Pass because Microsoft's um, philosophy has been if a Microsoft studio which now Bethesda is one of them, it uh, develops for them under the Microsoft banner. It goes on the games past day one. That's so great. That's you so know, great. and so, and so, I mean, the incentive now is so huge to get this $10 a month, you know, I mean, I guess it's 15, depending if you have the ultimate, but um, you know, you're looking at 120 to $180 a year and you're getting probably four to five triple A titles for free. Yeah. And we still you know. need to go deep into the value proposition of those plans because yeah. I need to know. And, I do, you know, it doesn't take an idiot to know that if you look at the specs of the new Xbox coming out, there's no way they're turning a profit on the hardware. They right. take a loss on the hardware the first three years. And so yep. acquiring ZeniMax to uh, balance that out with better titles because at the end of the day, who cares about the hardware if the software sucks? Yeah, I don't know, man. I think that they... Just to talk, going back to the economies of scale, right? Didn't they say that how many how many units of Xbox uh, One did they push? Something like million, something like tens mm. of millions yeah. of units. That sounds right. I mean, if they if they're projecting that that much for this next gen console, they might have uh, actual economies of scale down to push a profit on their next gen hardware. Right. Well, and they're using a lot of AMD chipsets now, and those are significantly cheaper. Um, yep. mm. than what they were before were before and getting better performance than what they were. But they're going to be um, making money off the software. That's where yeah. the profit oh, yeah. yeah. Is. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, a game a games pass. I mean, is fifteen dollars. Think of like you know. I mean, think of I don't know how many how many millions of people are using that Xbox Games Pass. Like, they're yeah. probably going to be like. 15 million people. I don't know. It, it is so better. You know, to, it is maybe 100 million people. Every, everybody knows it's better to get $15 yeah. off of 10 people <clears throat> than $60 off of one. I mean, that's yep. just, yeah. it, there's there's no other way around it. Um, All you yeah. got to do is not go out to eat one lunch. Yeah, done. You know, one day. And done. you've gotten your 15 bucks or whatever. Yeah. Yep. So it's good stuff. Um, the second one, and this is a quick one, is there's new Necron and Space Marine codexes coming out for Warhammer 40K. Uh, normally, like this wouldn't make our news radar, but the significant thing about this is a they're the new first new codexes, which are the new rule sets for these armies in the ninth edition. But more importantly, in my opinion, is this is the first time that Games Workshop is doing it where you can buy the physical copy and scan a code. And now have it digitally on your phone as no, well. No, no. Yeah, yeah. No, that so. is great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody uh, forward that to Wizards of the Coast, please. Yeah, no kidding. Because um, this was this was a big change for Games Workshop because they were making it that you had to buy it in both places, and 
yeah, the digital version was usually like 10 to $20 cheaper, depending on the book. But, I mean, you ended up paying like 60 to $80 for book content that's exactly the same when you could just be paying $40 and getting everything and, you know. They're going to sell more. And- They're going to sell more hardbound and they'll sell more digital. And being cool to players means more money coming in. Yes, yep. yes, win, win, win. Yeah, so I that mean, was pretty good stuff. Uh, the last thing that I had is that the Age of Sigmar RPG Soulbound uh, pre-orders went on for this for like a few months ago. In fact, we had Garrett Mulroney on here talking with us uh, for one of our podcasts, and he was telling us that um, he had ordered it and gotten like the the PDF copy of the game. Um, but the actual physical copies are being shipped out, and you can order them. And so they got a new starter box, which is kind of cool. It's got, I mean, it's a typical like D and D style starter box. Um, you know, where you've got uh, maps, you've got pre-gen characters, you've got, you know, quick how-to guides, you've got the book, you've got, um, you know, a, a kind of an abbreviated uh, quick play rule set that you can do. And I think there's an adventure in there that gets you up to like level five or something like that. So, um, oh, yeah, I, just, I mean, I just remembered my best friend from high school works from works for Cubicle 7. We got to reach out to him, see if he'll come on the show. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. No, best friend, not from of... high school, from from junior high, from junior high. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a deal. Yeah, let's do it, dude. That sounds great. I mean, they're tracking. putting out. Um, they've got the sole license for all the Warhammer stuff. So you know, the fantasy. I, I I've been dying to try the Warhammer fantasy. Um, um, because it's it's from what I understand, it's like you know, old world Warhammer pre Age of Sigmar. And it's um, very much, um, it was the inspiration for the Shadow of the Demon Lord that Rob Schwab took. Mm-hmm. So anyway, very interesting. But uh, that's all the new stuff that I added in. Uh, anything else from the peanut gallery over there? I think we're ready to hit our main topic. Dunk, yes. dunk, dunk. One hour in. <laughs> <laughs> This is this all right. Is blatant so, abuse so, of our listeners here with our I inability know. to keep track of time. I know we just had so much pent up. It was a bit, very busy two weeks for us, and and in the news too. Uh, all right, so we are talking dead games, and I would add zombie games to it, and we'll talk about what that means. But what do we mean by dead games, Dan? Before we can figure out what a dead game is, what does it mean to have a living game? A living game is a game that is being actively published by, let's say, a company, uh, rarely an individual, but usually a company. So either they put out a game and they continue to uh, put it in print, um, or they are continuing to add to a game, either as a living game with like any game that has expansions or a role-playing game that has additional volumes to be added to the basic, uh, the the basic core um, components. I would I think about this stuff too as like end game content. Yes. Right. You finish mm-hmm. you finish the basic game or the basic adventure, and then it's like how how's the replayability? What can you do beyond this? Um, and the interesting thing is like um, you think about. Uh, a game like, let's say Shadow of the Demon Lord, right? Shadow of the Demon Lord, I think, is an interesting one because um, you there was a preset adventure that would take you through 10 levels that you could play if you wanted to. Um, and the character player book only took you up to 10 levels. Uh, but as time went on, there was supplements that came out that could take you above and beyond that, 
right? I think up to like level 20. Yeah. And um, there was also new adventures always coming out. Like once, once a week, there was something coming out. Backgrounder that expanded this character or, or these uh, this class set, uh, a new adventure, uh, a new um, backgrounder on a, on an area of the map that hadn't really been explored before that could give you cool adventure ideas, right? Um, maybe a whole big book on spells that were coming out, and this was feeding through like weekly, pretty much, right, Jason? Yeah. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. coming out. Yeah, I think it was like weekly that that stuff was coming out, and I mean, it very much felt like there was constant stuff coming in. Even if you had hit your level ten, boy, you could go back and start playing it again, or you could just keep playing at level ten and, and keep it going. Right, and I think a, a key component here is that the people who are who the inventors of the game, the keepers of the rules, the rule makers, those who could publish errata and say, here are the rules as written are still actively making the game. Either they're putting out content for free or they're putting out content for pay. Um, And so that makes a living game. That is, that is clearly in the definition of a, a game that is alive and well, and its heart is beating. So one interesting thing is, I mean, I, so I think about Zombie Side, right? You and I have played Zombie Side with Jason as well, and um, they put out, I think, every week or two weeks, a new mission that you can play with your existing game, and it's just like you know, a one game that you can play. So like, you've got your rule book and the missions that you can go through there, but you've got end game content coming out regularly, and it's free on the website. You can go up there and download any any one of the missions that they have put out since then. Um, now, what's the difference between a game like Zombie Side right there, where they are putting out end game content, versus Risk? Yeah. And all of its many reskins. So you've got, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings Risk. You've got Warhammer 40K Risk. You've got, you know, Spider Man Risk. You've got, I don't know, like you've got reskins on the same thing. I mean, couldn't you argue that that's a living game because they're putting out more content? Absolutely. Those are living games. And I think if you look at kind of the Milton Bradley Hasbro approach, if the game is still technically in print, if a distributor can go and order new, a new palette of games to, to Mm -hmm. put out to local game shops or to big box stores or whatever, then that, that game is, is alive and well, if it is in print, Sometimes they're updated with different editions, you know, where the rules get updated every period of time to yep. enhance the playability. So that's that's clearly a living game. A dead game is when maybe the, the company goes away. When uh-huh. um, So for instance, if it, <clears throat> Sorry is made by, I, I think I have it over on my shelf. I could even go look. It's made, let's just say Hasbro because they bought out Milton Bradley, I believe. Um, if, if they just decided that's just a, a, a library title, we're not actively producing those components. We don't, you know, the, the games that have been published have been published. They live out in the world and that's it. Yeah. Um, and, and no more. And, um, so that can be kind of a, a game that's in purgatory because that company could bring that game back to life at any time and decide to publish it. Much like we just saw, much like we just saw with, um, Hero, uh, Quest. Hero Quest, right? You know the yeah. the um, the copyrights in order. So it, it's when the, the, all of those signs of health, like you know, people who are defending the copyright. There's 
you know, somebody answering an email inbox, you know, there's a pulse. When those things start falling apart, you know, um, that's when the game is dead. Uh, We first experienced real dead games and we thought of games by living and dying back in the CCG era. There was this crazy time after Magic the Gathering came out and everybody was seeing uh, Wizards of the Coast print their own money with Magic the Gathering. There was a period where every single IP you could think of came out with a customizable card game because they're like, let's get on this bandwagon. Uh, like my favorite one was the Highlander, uh, the Highlander, the, 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 the quickening card game or Highlander, the gathering card game, <laughs> that thing died. That can only be one. Yeah. It, that game was dead within the day, the day it landed on the shelves, which means they weren't going to publish boosters. They weren't going to do anything. Yeah. It was so bad. And, and the artwork was all taken from the TV show and stuff like that. And I would see like, you know, um, store box sets that had like, hundreds of deck, you know, like 50 decks in them, you know, they were selling those for a song for like 10 bucks. And I was like, I should just buy this just to have the cards. I mean, look at them. They're cards. They're cool. I didn't do it because obviously it, it was not that compelling of a sale, but we saw this period where games had promised players that there was going to be further follow-ups and it didn't exist. So it died. So the people, they they still may hold the copyright, but they're not actively producing the content. And for all intents and purposes, if you bought it, go play it and have fun, but don't, don't come knocking on my door. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it is what it is and it's done. Sometimes the licenses will expire too. So let's say, I don't know uh, which company, let's just say it was MGM who owned the, the the rights to do Highlander, sold the rights to a game company to make games off of it for three years. Those rights went away and they, you know, once those expired, you know, the, everything published by that house disappears if it's not right. written into the contract that the, that the IP of the game itself is owned. Kind of like Lucasfilm has done with every game they've ever made. They put in, they put writers in the contract that says, uh, yeah, if it's even close to you owning, it's us that owns the whole thing uh, in, in, all, right. in, in almost 100%, close to 100% of the IP in their Star Wars games are are owned by Lucasfilm. I think uh, Fantasy Flight did did a pretty good job of getting a better deal than previous um, previous license holders had. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the difference between living and dead. And dead games, if you're playing it and you're having fun with it, is it truly dead? I mean, I have a dead board game on my shelf from Willow because uh, West End Games had the Lucasfilm license and they produced a willow board game where you took on a character and you had stats and you leveled up in one table setting. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't about an RPG. It was just a board game to be played in two or three hours. Um, that game is dead. I mean, you know, nobody wants, nobody's putting out new content for willow and that company is now gone, gonesville. Um, but it's still on my shelf and I could get it out right now and we could play it and it could be fun. So just because it's yeah. dead doesn't mean it is not fun anymore. Um, well, I think it depends on the game too, right? So if uh, Warhammer, let's say Warcry, let's mm-hmm, say Warcry mm-hmm. all of a sudden lost community support, um, you know, it would be difficult to then find people to play Warcry with you. You could go out and play it, but are you going to get as much fun 
you know, out of it if you're not getting a bunch of people together to play so it. So you together. find yourself in situations like that saying, well, I need yep. to own both armies or I need to know, all, I need to own all four factions. Right. So what happens is, is when a game dies, uh, you know, I know Jason's bought some, bought heavily into a couple of dead games. Golem Arcana comes to mind. He bought a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I yeah. only bought the starter set. That game died because it required servers to run as well as to be played. And it, it required Bluetooth equipment to be updated. None of that stuff happened. It, yeah. You know more about it than I do, Jason. But that game is straight up Deadsville. And they were selling the minis when it died. For They were beautiful minis. You could get them for nothing. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, so... What if I, I buy into a game and I own pretty much all the components? Does that just become a big version of Monopoly in a super big yeah. box for me and my myself to play with my friends? And the answer is yes. If you have fun with a game right. and you have somebody to play with, it's if it's alive in your in your game repertoire, it is it's not truly dead. It's a zombie game. That's what I'm calling it. It's a zombie game. <laughs> it was zombies were all dead once, right? It's whether or not yeah, they, they come exactly. back to life. Now there are games that because they are no longer supported by the company, let's say a competitive game. So uh, those games are harder to kill because they have, in some ways, they're easier to kill because nobody bought into it. Right. If it's a game that sucked, you know, if you tried to say, hey, I want everybody to start buying into my new minis game and your your game mechanics are not fun to play and and the models, whether they're good or they're bad, who cares? You know, it's it's dead. You don't want to invest a lot into it. However, yeah. um, you know, look at the Star Wars customizable card game. This is the ultimate story of a zombie game that is just amazing. So this came out in the glut when everybody was throwing every IP trying to make money off of Magic the Gathering. This game came out in 1995 and concluded publishing in 2001. So while they were publishing, they put out uh, a dozen different sets of cards and another dozen mini packs or mini additional sets. So in six years they published, they basically had about 24 major releases in that period of time. Since that time, the community kept the game alive to play competitively, and they have put out dozens of virtual sets. Um, equally, you know, they, they've put about three times out the amount of content as was originally published by the original publisher, and they're still going strong. And they have a committee that keeps the game alive, um, and, and they, it's, it's nuts. Nobody can make money off of it because it's Star Wars. Thanks, George. Um, but it's all out there. Um, and, um, I'm sitting under my feet. I have boxes of these cards that I have not, I've not wanted to sell mine to the community yet because in my heart of hearts, I want to have like a star Wars customizable card game, dead, did card game night at my house where we do deck building and we say, okay, well, here's all the bad guys. Here's all the good guys. Let's, let's just put together some crazy decks and play this game. So uh, I'd rather have it than sell it. Um, but that's like the perfect example of how that game in 2001 was considered completely dead. Nobody nobody cared. Um, you know, the rights had been sold to another company. The whole, the, you know, there's no good reason to keep that game alive. But the bones were good enough and the mechanics were good enough. And there was enough content coming out for the community to keep keep leveraging it. So... Yeah, it's a really interesting story of how um, games can live on even after they're they are quote unquote dead. 
Yeah, definitely. I think about um, dead RPGs, and the interesting thing, as you said, you know, dead RPGs, they're only dead if you don't play them, in a sense. Like, if you've got the materials, there's no reason why you can't play it. I mean, you, you know... Home brewing is an essential part of being able to be a good, you know, GM. And I think that, um, you know, taking a dead RPG and home brewing stuff um, is just as easy as doing it with a live one. You know, Um, I think about uh, Rogue Trader that we have played Mm -hmm. is a dead game, technically. Dead game. Yeah, well, it's a zombie game, essentially, Mm -hmm. because, you know, the interesting thing is it was owned by... Um, Fantasy Flight Games, and then picked up by Cubicle 7 as part of the Warhammer acquisition of the licensing. And um, basically they kind of, I mean, they've they've sort of reiterated this whole um, thing. It started out as Dark Heresy, and then it, like, Dark Heresy sort of waned down, and then they did Rogue Trader, and then that waned down, and then they did um, uh, the Death Watch one. Um, and then that sort of waned down and they've got a new one coming out. So it's essentially the same game with just like extra little mechanics, you know, um, it's kind of the same way that force and destiny relates to age of, yeah, um, yeah. age of empires, you know, uh-huh. or age of rebellion. Is that right? It's, no, yeah, I got yeah, it all yeah. wrong. It's, so. it, we, we know what you meant. It's, it's yeah, just a very, so. you, you, you yeah, adjust, you keep the mechanical, you keep the mechanics and you adjust the theme and you add more content to customize right. to the theme. Yep. So, so for all intents and purposes, Rogue Trader is a dead game. But you know what? There's a great website that loves to repackage and resell dead games, and that's Humble Bundle. Humble Bundle. And everybody knows here that I am a big fan of Humble Bundle because they – listen, they put out a recent thing with Warhammer Fantasy First Edition. It's in its fourth edition right now, but they came out with first edition with a whole bunch of maps, a whole bunch of like, you know, source books that you can get in PDF. And, you know, here we are. I mean, it's a zombie factory over there at Humble Bundle. And, you know, and the other wheel on that bike is drive through RPG. Yep. Um, they, yeah, definitely. You know, is it truly dead if you can go download the PDF today? I mean, the question is, right. is do the original creators or whoever owns the rights to that material, if you're downloading the PDF, are they getting their nickel? And I hope the answer is yes, because I hope they're not selling anything on DriveThruRPG. But if the sellers are operating within the the, con, the confines of, of their licensing agreement, which is sometimes user user content can go out, that's... That's perfectly alive and well. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know, I think there's a there's a question that we have here um, that that probably should be answered at a certain point, which is, is a dead board game a bad thing, or is a dead game a bad thing? Um, Do you mean you know? that it's dead? It's bad, or that, that it's gone it? dead, <laughs> or that it's or that it's dying? Is it a bad thing that it's dying? Maybe. I think this is a good question for Jay because Jay, I know you invested heavily into D and D three point five for all of its all of its warts. People played the crap out of that game, yeah. but I know you had pretty much the entire library. I had a pretty giant stack. It was big. And, uh, I remember for sure. when we first started hanging out. I'm like, oh wow, we could just play three five anytime that we want to do three five because there it is. There's the whole library right there. Yeah. There's going to be opinions on this, right? I think my opinion is it's always good to be able to do a refresh. I think that um, uh, I think that um, it when something works, when a game works, when its mechanics work, and you can play it to death, 
that's that's great. But I think it's also we tend to like new content just across yeah. the board. Yeah. We like to be refreshed, and it's okay for something to to be um, retired in yeah. order to yeah. make room for something else in your life. And th- you'll hear this in me when we talk when I talk about like TV shows and stuff. It's and like I I'm always looking for what's next, what's new. Uh, part of that's just you know with like my career, I'm always on looking for tech at the cutting edge, but. It's just this innate drive to see where are we going from here, what's coming down the road. Don't don't get me wrong. I've got plenty of old games on my shelf that I break out every now and then and play and take a trip down the lane, memory lane. But uh, I am always in favor of somebody trying to do something new. Now, that said, I think that there are plenty examples of when developers have made a game go dead prematurely just to make another buck. Yeah. Yeah. And pushing out a new edition. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that I kinda have an issue with. Yeah. Oh yeah. Clearly. It's it's like, okay, well we got everybody bought in. We released a book yeah. for every class. We put out our three adventures and now we need to start over with the new core book. And this one's gonna be different, guys, because we fixed the three things you hated yeah. and now we have Statted up some new things that you never thought we would stat up, and we're going there. So let's come on, let's all jump on board. And I, um, you know, I, I totally see that. I, I've jumped on board things, and and it turned out good. I've jumped on board things, and and decided to stop spending money on them. So uh, it's tough. It, it, it's the question for an RPG on your shelf is different than a question for a board game because a board game yeah. on your shelf, if you look at guys who really collect board games and some of them just buy them and they open it once and look at them and then never play it again. Right. Or barely play it once. If that, you know, we all have those friends that have shelves and shelves of board games. They don't play and a, a role-playing game is different. First of all, it takes up a different kind of quantity in your life. It's a paper book. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have to look at that book and say, when's the next time I'm going to be able to get three friends together and roll up characters for this game and start going back into this universe and play it. And sometimes you got to take a real gut check. Like I had about a third of the entire library of the West End game Star Wars, and they put out a lot of supplements. A lot of them were paper bound and a lot of them were deteriorating. They had great ones that were hard bound and great one and, and great things that were soft bound. But I had so much stuff that was just molding and I didn't even use it even for the, the fluff for other versions of the role-playing game I was I was playing. And so I sold it on eBay. I, I, had, I had held on to uh, modules that I had gotten a hold of in 1988, seriously. And stuff I carried with me all over the country from grads, from undergrad to grad school to apartments. And I couldn't, I couldn't part with it because I couldn't imagine a time when I didn't want to get a group together and play this game. And then you look at it and it's been 20 years and you're like, okay, well somebody else needs to add this to their collection. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. Unless if, especially if you know that you're not getting out of the hobby, I think a lot of people get rid of their RPG stuff because they say to their themselves, there's no way I'll ever be able to get together with the friends I had when I was 15 <laughs> and play another RPG. And that's largely yeah. uh, a matter of a matter. It, it, are, what is your willingness to meet new people who are also interested right. in your hobby? Right. Well, and not only that, um, so my daughter, uh, I think I mentioned this before, was doing a strategic games club in middle school and started playing D&D pretty heavily there. Now, I had run her through a couple of sessions with her friend 
and um, they started doing this more regularly. And come to find out, she's she tells me, oh, my dad used to play this a lot when he was in high school and college. And then he sold all of his stuff because he never thought he'd play it again. Mm. But now here he is wanting to play with his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he's like, I had all this stuff. <laughs> but granted, it was probably all like 3E stuff, you know, and, yeah. and all that. So And, and you, know. you hit a certain age where your brain doesn't want to learn new game mechanics either. True. It's yeah. like, you know, you get over 40 and you're like, oh, man, do I, do I have to learn yet another system? I mean, I well, can't tell you how many times I've quoted rules from three systems ago in the middle of, of GMing. And people are like, dude, do you, do you know this? Are we all playing the same game here? I, I think what I would caveat that with is I don't I enjoy learning a new system. But I think the older I get, the less patience I have for uh, new Bad systems rules. that are com- yeah that are just complex just for the sake of complexity. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, let's dump off the 25 unique different tokens out of these 15 chipboards. And, uh, you know, there's three, four sets of dice that all have different face values. And if you remember when we played, um, we we did a demo of Against the Shadow. Remember remember that game? Yeah, that came came for like a day to Kickstarter and then was pulled, unfortunately. but uh, it had like five or six different dice. Yeah. And uh, let me tell you, man, that was uh, it was a it was a good game. It wasn't wasn't too bad. But um, when you got five or six different type of dice, and you got a, I mean, you got to reference kind of a rule sheet to understand what each dice does. And even yeah. if even if we had the real dice, we would have to reference a rule sheet to understand what that face means. Right. On the dice, it's yeah. like okay, you know, it, it can get a little overwhelming at times and get clunky. Um, so I, I don't mind new mechanics. I think new mechanics are fun when you've got someone that's uh, that's being innovative. Yeah. But uh, when you're just reskinning old mechanics, or when you're just adding complexity that doesn't add fun or immersion, then you know, then I'm like, okay, all right. Or tortured simplicity. Uh, you know, uh, Numenera. I'm looking at you. It's like, no, no, we simplified everything by making it ten times more complicated. And we're like, actually, <laughs> yeah. you didn't simplify math. anything. You just yeah. you just made our lives more difficult. It's it's just it's just math by an odd number. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, so, not, it's not even divide by two or divide by five and we'll do multiple to ten. Divide by three. <laughs> Dang it. This is so hard. Like, wait, what? what? And now you're using playing cards? I don't understand. Stop it. Um Um so uh you know I but I was thinking about like is it bad thing for games to die? And I'm thinking specifically about Shadow of the Demon Lord. Yeah. And in an yeah. in an um so I, I literally just talked about how all this content and stuff had been coming out for it and all this stuff, you know. And you guys and were Jason, one of the only podcasts. You guys were yeah. running the bleeding edge of a great game. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing is in one of our last podcasts with the uh, Blood and Still podcast that we had, Rob talked about um, sort of sunsetting. He didn't say it in those exact words, but he was ref- definitely referring to sunsetting Shadow of the Demon Lord um, for some other projects he had in the works. Um, and, you know, he's planning to build off of the, the core mechanics that he had Yeah, with his um, weird wizard. Weird wizard and, yep. and Punk Apocalyptica. And he had a sci-fi one that he was talking about trying to put into the works as well, you know. Um, and so, you know, it makes you think like, okay, well, you know, we hit a certain point, sort of that over the hill with the... Shadow of the Demon Lord, there's a ton of content out there. 
and he could feed the beast by writing a little adventure every month or every other month or whatever and that would still give a lot of you know interest i i think that would still give interest to the community yeah but you know i think he's at a point where he the author is saying well I'm kind of done with this world. I'm ready to do something different. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. Well, and you've got two factors there you got to think about. Number one is you can't fault somebody for making business choices that pay their rent, you know, or pay their mortgage and feed their kids, right? And so, yeah. anytime you're dealing with a small publisher, where you know the, the list of key players is you can count on one hand, real life, real life is going to intrude on the beauty of the game. Number one. Number two is um, if if there if if you look at this as a creative process where you know creativity meets commerce, much like making music, you know RPGs are is a lot a lot like making music. You get people together, you have common interests, and you have you mash something together and you play an RPG, and it's like it's like a great band practice, and everybody walks away on a high, right? Well. Um, yeah. If those creative juices aren't flowing for the writer of the game, like the guy who owns everything, if it's a company that owns it, you can start delegating creativity around. When one writer gets burned out, you hire three starving guys and they pick it up and run with it. But when it's kind of a, a one-man show, it is, it is much harder to, to keep the energies going. Um, yeah. So I, I can't blame him because he's like, okay, well, I've, I've, I've written my last pop song. I want to go try another genre. For mm-hmm. a little while, I can't say Shadow of the Demon Lord is pop. <laughs> Sorry. I've written my last death metal song. You know, we talked about Rush. Rush decided to like stop playing heavy stuff for like a decade, and their van- fans were like, "What the f?" You know. Um, yeah. So it, it happens, and so it just goes to show. I remember you guys being really excited about Shadow of the Demon Lord after that one Gen Con, and I, you know, we played it and stuff, but I didn't think it was going to have legs and get mass penetration i'm sorry if that's negative but i never felt like it was gonna blow up and yeah, get it was huge. A, we always knew it was a niche game you know yeah. like it wasn't gonna be the next D at all or or even star wars it just didn't have the ip to do that right yeah um and it was a i think it's a great niche game and i think that um you know it's gonna be around for a long time especially since you can get anything you want off of drive through rpg yeah mm-hmm. and that's gonna be there forever you know, and there's humble bundles that come out to get it, you know, get a new batch of players in every now and then. Um, usually it's around October, like freaky, freaky, deaky Halloween time. Well, is, you know, here's that, another interesting question that we don't have time to answer. Is the fact that humble bundle and drive through RPG around keeping all these things alive, like on life support indefinitely, could that be a bad thing? I mean, could the fact that, you know, should somebody just put a bullet in Shadow of the Demon Lord and say it has a beginning and a middle and an end and it's done? I don't know. I don't. I don't have an answer to that question. I'm sorry yeah, I interrupted I don't know. you. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's I a, think it's, a it's our thing. legacy. It's it's yeah. a legacy of our creative our creativity as a culture. I mean, video games are part of culture now. Uh, RPGs, games, games are part of our culture. Yeah. And is if we even if you don't like a game, the fact that it's there and it's in our history books is existing. It shows the path that we've come as a, as a community and as a culture. Nice. Well, that just got deep. Whoa! <laughs> hey, hey, and we're at the one hour was, thirty I was mark. Like, why are they not talking? We're at the why one. I, I can't. We can't follow that, Justin. We can't follow that. I can't. I can't. I got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. He's dropping the mic. <laughs> 
That's good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I think to sort of wrap this conversation up, um, you know, we talk about dead games. There are some truly dead games out there, but I think that there has to be some very specific things about it, right? And and I think Golem Arcana is a great example where you literally needed technology to play this, and when the technology goes yep. away, you cannot play it. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a dead DOA game. I mean, yeah. it is, you can't do it. And then there's the zombie games where, you know what, for all intents and purposes, the publishing support is stopped, it's done, it's gone, but people can still pick it up and play it. And they can still have a good time with it and and not not have to worry about it. So, And then there's the ones that are alive and kicking that have a lot of community support that are enjoyed by a lot of people. And, uh, you know, um, there's... There's, I guess, sort of a scale in between all of those that you know where where games will fall. And we just had a buddy. And, we just had yeah. a buddy play Descent version one, a first edition. He loved it. Mm-hmm. Went out and bought second edition at the same time they announced the third edition. So right. here was a guy <laughs> right. as an informed consumer sent. I think I'm going to put my money on the dead game because it's got what I want. It's got what I can buy today, and it's got the app support, and I'll be happy with second edition. Yeah, buy the thing that makes you happy. I mean, and if things don't make you happy, go on eBay and get rid of it and buy something else. Well, here's one more question. I know we're running a little long. Journeys to Journeys to Middle Earth. You talked about this. Oh yeah. This is a a uh, augmented reality game. Yes. Right. Yes. You've got your table board in front of you. You've got the tiles. You got your minis, and then you have a screen up in front of you, and the screen is kind of helping um, dictate the flow of the game as well as like what AI are doing. Yeah. Um, and it is very technology dependent. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Here's a question. Does it change your mind in buying a game knowing that the technology dependency is there? And if, if that app, for example, went away, that you have kind of a dead game on your hand? Well, the nice thing about these games is, first of all, they're, they're, there's a steep buy-in. At $100 on a, on a board game, you're kind of like you're all in. You just have to say, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm in for this ride. And they're, they've just released their second hundred dollar, their first major expansion. They put out one small expansion for like twenty five bucks, and that came out at launch. And then they put out a, a, a large expansion for another hundred. It's now you can pick it up for seventy five, seventy bucks right now. And then they have another mini expansion coming out. So for that, you have to say to yourself, how long is Asmodee willing to keep this digital thing alive in their library? Yeah for years to come when I still want to play this game. And here's one of the reasons why I felt good about this is because Asmodee has has a really great digital catalog of their games and that's a profit center for them. And so I felt like this game probably has five years of life in it. And I think my ability to sit down and play an awesome board game without inviting people over, especially in COVID-19, is really valuable. And the ability mm-hmm. to sit down and play a co-op game where one person doesn't have to be the bad guy like you have in Descent is really valuable. Yeah. So the, the value prop, and it was Lord of the Rings, which I loved. And I didn't have a good Lord of the Rings game. So for me, it was like, I had already spent that kind of money on like wave four of X-Wing. So it didn't feel like that big right. of a risk, you know, because I'm like, oh, I'll blow yeah. 100, I blowed a hundred bucks to buy a whole bunch of planes I never fly. Um, they're sitting in a box by my feet and I've never flown them. So 
I, I knew that going into it because because of Golem Arcana and watching Jay get burned really bad and watching the company not support it, um, I kind of knew what the risks level were. And Fantasy Flight had already done XCOM, and that was a huge title for them. And they'd done uh, like House of Madness, I think, is the other one. That's this. This is the exact. They even used software off of one of their other games um, that they yeah. were just repurposing. So I knew that they could patch two games at the same time. Uh, I just kind of sometimes you just cross your fingers. Um, you just got to go for it. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a much, there's a much bigger risk trying to get people to buy in on a new CCG when nobody's playing it or try to buy in on a new minis game when it's yeah. nobody's playing it. That is, that is a, for my, for my money, that was a much riskier prospect than just yep. picking this up. I do think it's funny. I mean, you're talking about dropping a hundred dollars or $150 or whatever. And it's so true. I look at those price tags sometimes and I'm like, ah, man, do I really want to drop like $125 on this board game? And then I'll turn around and buy $300 worth of minis in a blink of an eye. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're like, of course, this is worth money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a really good deal. I'm going to get that, yeah, so, you know, and realize it later that I could have gotten like two of the board games that I was eyeing. Well, as, here's know. the funny thing. Uh, Sean, uh, we're on video calls all the time because of work, and he's got his uh, Journeys in Middle Earth game over his shoulder in his office and I've put my journeys in middle earth right in front of behind my monitor with my new setup. And so I sit here all day long going, I'd much rather be playing this game that I paid a hundred dollars yeah. for a couple of years ago than actually doing work. That's creating the money. It's kind of funny. Yeah. So no, I, I, it just depends on, on what you're, what, it's the value of a dollar to you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think we have thoroughly explored the idea of dead games. And, uh, you know, it's nice to know that we can have zombie games as long as we're willing to play them, essentially. Yeah. So I think that that is kind of the, the good news story for, you know, games that seem to go away or lose community support or whatever it is. Um, part of me is, has been going hard on Warcry and getting a lot of different bands together because I want to have game nights where I can have people over and have you know, eight people playing war bands and playing together because it is such an easy game to play and not have to worry about someone like not having an army or not picking one Mm -hmm. up and painting it, you know? And I think it makes it so much easier as a proposition to say, hey, come over and play. And you know what? If support ever goes away from it, I've got the books. I've got the yeah. minis. There's it's nothing preventing system. us from playing it. Yeah, it's a close system. And I, I could totally run a little mini X-Wing tournament just like we did at uh, at our at our mini con with six players or eight players just with the yeah. models I own. Yeah. Yeah, I could totally do that. And that's fun. That that idea is really fun to me. Whether or not – I the last two waves of X-Wing have, I've spent no money on. They all suck. All those planes yeah. suck. And I'm like – why are you guys putting ships out that suck? And so I'm no longer up on the competitive meta because I'm not getting all the combos that I need to run the, the latest broken list. But I'm like, hell, you know, I'm yeah. You know, how many hundreds of dollars sunk into this game? I can play it forever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, everyone, we hope you enjoyed our episode on dead games today, as well as our long Geek Week and news cycle. Uh, we promise we will keep it a little bit shorter next time, but we hope you enjoyed it regardless. So if you've got feedback or questions or whatever, smash the like button, smash the subscribe button, smash the share button, and leave us some feedback because we love to hear what you guys are interested in knowing about or would like to talk about or dive deep in. So we thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. 
All right, see ya. Smashing, baby, smashing.